VI Shots Podcast, Episode 10. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you all for joining me on this episode of the VI Shots podcast. This episode is very monumental <laughs> because it's the 10th episode of the podcast. Uh, it's incredible that I've gotten this far, all full 10 episodes, and they say that if you can reach your 10th episode in the podcasting world, uh, you'll be definitely going beyond that. So I'm hoping that now that I've reached my 10th episode, it's smooth sailing all the way. Well, how more fitting to start off a 10th episode with news of a new LabVIEW version. Yes, this episode is, uh, as you're listening to it, it would be at the beginning of August of 2011. And there's a new version of LabVIEW out called, of course, LabVIEW 2011. And here to help us navigate through the new features is Jeffrey Phillips from National Instruments. Okay, Jeffrey, um, could you uh, explain a little bit ab about yourself and what you do for NI? Sure. I'm a LabVIEW product marketing manager. I've uh, been in this role since the beginning of 2007. Um, specifically, the part of my role that is probably going to be interesting today is around the each new version of LabVIEW. Um, leading up to the development kickoff, I work very closely with R&D to help prioritize the features and the efforts that we work on based on feedback from the users at me or the rest of our product marketing staff has interacted with, information we hear back from the sales force, and any other anecdotal feedback that really comes through the rest of the organization, whether it's through R&D and their interactions with customers, through the applications engineering department and the feedback that we get from support, um, or really any other place that we have an interaction with the user base for LabVIEW. During the development process, part of my role is mostly around leading efforts to help test the product. Um, try to investigate the usability, try to make sure everything is where it needs to be, and also that the documentation um, speaks to the to the right tone of how the user is going to be using each feature. And then as we get towards the actual release of the software um, to the user base, then I really shift more towards a traditional marketing role, trying to develop content for the sales force, um, leading product demonstrations internally, trying to get everybody aligned with what features we're going to be talking about at a high level and then what kind of the larger base of features that we're going to be promoting is. Uh, this week is an um, exciting week because uh, LabVIEW 2011 has been released. Uh, it must be pretty exciting for you. Absolutely. And uh, can you explain, can you describe a little bit, uh, you know, how far back does the, the preparation for a new LabVIEW release um, occur? Sure. Well, actually, that is a, a question that has changed a lot over the recent years. Um, the development process for the different versions of LabVIEW, for example, 8.0 or 8.20 were much longer or much shorter, um, depending on kind of the feature set that was scoped out. And when we moved to the annual release cycle uh, back in 2009, it really nailed down kind of the process that we go through when developing LabVIEW, the each new version of LabVIEW, and then releasing it. I would say right around the end of April or the beginning of May is really when the prioritization process gets kicked off for the new version of LabVIEW. And then probably around June is when the actual development kicks in. Um, so June previous of oh, the previous okay. year. <laughs> I was saying if it was this year, I'd be pretty late. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So like, for example, last month, we would have kicked off development for LabVIEW 2012. Awesome. That's that's pretty interesting. Um 
I've, I've so it's this year is uh, National Instruments is uh, promoting that uh, the LabVIEW this release is more stable than previous years, um, yes. or trying to get to that more stable state. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and um, sure. what, what's what that um, involves? Well, with with LabVIEW this year, the primary focus we had within the development process was twofold. One was on the stability of the platform, so crashing, hanging. Um, cars or bugs that the user would run into. And the second is on the kind of edit time performance of the environment. So how fast the environment responds to you when you're using it. Um, LabVIEW has been getting into a lot kind of more mission critical applications in recent years, a lot higher profile safety um, of, you know, of an actual person on the line with the execution of the code. And so what that's really done is kind of raise the bar internally with the standards that we have to meet with the stability of the entire platform. And when we're talking the LabVIEW platform to the user base, it's the development system, the modules, the toolkits, the drivers, and even the hardware, you know, they kind of all get lumped into one. And so we have to be sure that we're testing how all of those different components work together. With LabVIEW 2011 specifically, I would say the probably the single most important thing we did was get to a point where we had a stable collection of all those different components earlier in the process. So not just you know, the LabVIEW team testing LabVIEW and each module team testing their module and the driver team testing their drivers, but having the collection of all those different pieces together that we could do system level testing on. And not just manual testing, but also with a like a farm of automated tests that we can run on each build of LabVIEW as we go through the process. So I would say probably the most important thing we did was just raise the number of man hours that went into the testing of the product. Secondly, we did some some internal promotions, trying to get more of, of like our sales guys and our systems engineers, the, the part of the organization that uses LabVIEW the most, trying to get them doing more testing. We did this internal promotion called Crash Me If You Can, um, which was kind of a, a cliche play off of the Catch Me If You Can movie, um, where we paid out $25 gift cards since it's the 25th anniversary for LabVIEW for every unique crash or hang car that, that we could produce internally. And the second thing that did was help us test out a new feature in LabVIEW 2011, which is the NI error reporter. And that's basically a, a server that's built into LabVIEW that helps you with one click send any code that produces a crash or a hang back to us so that we can help investigate it and figure it out and really try to trend what are the common problems that are affecting the most customers. Can and you, that, that, sorry, go ahead. Can you go into a little bit more detail about how that feature works? Sure. So the, the NI reporter service previously in the past, if like if LabVIEW crashed, um, it would it would go away. It would disappear off your screen. And when you relaunched the LabVIEW EXE, you would get this little window that popped up that said, um, would you like to investigate an internal error? And you could hit yes, and it would basically generate a report with very few details. And it would send that you know back to us. The new feature, when, when in the very unfortunate event that LabVIEW would crash, will identify that LabVIEW is crashing and capture some system information at that time. And it'll give you a dialog box that says, you know, oh no, LabVIEW crashed. Um, you can check a box and it will take the code that, that caused the crash and wrap that up and send it back to National Instruments. And then there's a place where you can type in comments if you'd like to add more kind of details on what you were doing at the time or what was going on. And all that information gets sent back to us. And then the user gets a unique identifier that they can come back and track any problems or any cars that were generated from that specific report. Okay. I also noticed that because uh, I'm on the I was I was on the LabVIEW beta uh, for 2011, and I noticed that the beta is still actually open. Uh, the beta forums, anyway, um, is that sort of one of the reason? One of the changes is to sort of keep the beta a little bit last a little bit longer. Yeah. Well, the the beta forums are a great place for us to 
you know, kind of garner some of that user feedback from the experienced Lavi users working with the product. And a lot of times our beta period, you know, even though beta period is over, um, there's still the testers who haven't had a chance to get to it yet um, or, you know, are still working on it. And that feedback is still valuable to us, even once we're past the actual beta stage in development. So it's still very valuable to leave the beta forums open. Um, and a, a, another example of kind of the internal promotion we did, which I'm sure you saw through the Lavi Champions Forum, was we did kind of this extended upgrade testing car identification process for the LabVIEW Champions. And, you know, as I'm sure you know, you guys are some of our harshest critics when it comes to LabVIEW and the way it performs. And I felt like some of the quotes that we got were very awesome and fantastic. And just the 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 perception of, of just using LabVIEW is that it's more streamlined, it's faster, it's better, it's more stable. And it just instills more of a confidence in the user base. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to starting working with 2011 because... I'm still stuck in 2009, and uh, I, I got to say that uh, <laughs> uh, I'm using a lot of classes um, in my project, and I don't know, maybe it's class-related, but I'm getting a lot of crashes in 2009. So um, Yeah, I think yeah. We, there's there's definitely been some some problematic areas that we've identified, you know, being kind of a root cause of, of issues more so than others, and classes was definitely one of those areas, and we spent a lot of time focusing on that um, in 2011, and especially moving forward in 2012. Um, to try to kind of remedy a lot of those problems. So uh, besides the stability, um, there are a few features that did manage to get in there uh, for 2011. Uh, what what uh, can you talk a few uh, a little bit about some of those features? Sure. Well, there's there's actually a, a pretty significant number of features that are built into LabVIEW 2011. Um, a lot of them are you know kind of incremental improvements to existing features or changes in the way that they're implemented. Um, but there's actually a lot of a lot of cool you know stuff in LiveView 2011 that I'm really excited about. Then they break down kind of into some common categories. So I'll just run through what some of those categories are. Mm -hmm. um, the first is are the libraries that are built into the language. So the first one, as as somebody who demonstrates LiveView a lot and shows off a lot of um, code, is the new library of UI controls and indicators. So the Silver Palette, again in honor of the 25th anniversary for LiveView. So the Silver Palette has just a host of new um, front panel controls and indicators that have really cool shading and gradients and just kind of brings the design of a LabVIEW front panel into the 21st century without the user having to go through a lot of extensive customizations. One of the coolest parts of this palette, I think, is this new palette of buttons that was made for Boolean controls. So um, in LabVIEW 2010 and before, there was a button that said OK or a button that said Stop. And you could go in and customize the buttons and add your own images and text but in um, LabVIEW 2011, there's like over 40 new buttons that have unique images or, or little icons that are on the button along with text. So it's easier for the developer to customize their application and make the UI more instantly readable by the user. Buttons for email, help, preferences, back, forward, next, play, stop, just kind of a lot of the common actions that uh, a user of, a, of an interface would, would do with a Boolean button. So this is all on this new, we're, so we're talking a new palette. So we're familiar with the classic, um, right. then there's the modern, right? Right. So the new silver palette is at that level. Okay. So there's classic modern system and then there's silver. And then there's silver. Okay. Other features? Um, so there, again, there's more libraries. There's over 25 new math and signal processing um, algorithms that are built into LabVIEW. Um, and really they roll up to three core areas. One is computational geometry. Another is angle manipulation, so trying to calculate you know, offsets based on two different vector inputs or 
adding in an input and calculating the output vector, and then some advanced error calculations for data sets. There's also some new pretty advanced APIs that are built into the language. The first one is the asynchronous call by reference. So this is the ability to spawn off a background process um, and have that go and execute in the background while your code still moves forward. So without kind of violating the data flow paradigm and then the ability to go back and capture the data that happened in that asynchronous thread. And this was a, a functionality that you could accomplish in LabVIEW before with the VI server. Um, but it was kind of complicated and you really had to sit there and pull the output of the of the async process in order to capture the, the data from that. And this new API really simplifies that with two VIs, you know, one to kick off the process and one to gather the data from it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this feature. Um, I've done several tutorial videos on VI shots where I, I talk about how to launch asynchronous process VIs. Right. And, um, you know, using VI server, the run method. Uh, but the biggest you know, challenge is uh, passing data to these VIs, right? right. These asynchronous VIs. So right. and the, the, yep. the, the new input VI that comes with the new API, basically when you drop in the, the reference to your VI, it brings up the, the um, icons or the, the data terminals that you can pass data into that are associated with the, the connector pane. So it really simplifies that process. Right. It's just like wiring up to any VI, you know, you just, right. you just wire up the data. And of course, the enhancement is you can actually wait for data to be returned um, right. from the asynchronous VI as well. Without having to sit there and pull it continuously to find out if it's done. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is a significant feature. I mean, just, just for this one, I, I'd definitely upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> Plus the stability, of course. Um, any, um, any other features you want to mention? Yeah, there's, a, there's another API. Um, the Application Builder API, actually for lack of a better name. And this is basically three new VIs that let you programmatically build and deploy executables either to your desktop computer or to distributed targets, and also one to clean a previous specification. So the, these, the, build, the clean one, excuse me, is mostly for doing like daily builds and having a build specification that you would repeatedly build over a period of time. And it helps you just programmatically, not just delete files from a folder, but actually go back and kind of undo everything that was built or moved in the actual build specification. Okay, so I'm, I'm a little confused by this one. Can you uh, explain it a little bit? So this is an API. So these are VIs or what are these? Yeah, there are three VIs. Okay. There's clean.vi, build.vi, and deploy.vi. So you can build executables with the application builder in LabVIEW. You know, by going into the actual project, making a specification, right-clicking and say build or deploy. These VIs let you programmatically do that process. So if I have, for instance, an executable that I want to build and deploy to 20 different computers or 20 different compact RIOs, I can load up an input of IP addresses into my deploy VI and have that programmatically go and deploy all my code for me so I don't have to manually deploy code to each target. And then the, the final one, the clean.vi, lets me go back and un- of unbuild a specification if I'm doing like a daily build where I want to build a VI now and then tomorrow I want to rebuild the same VI based on changes that I put in. Okay, so the so the build VI builds it and then the clean one uh, kind of resets things? Right. Oh, okay. So that you don't have to like go and redo a build specification every time. I see. I mean, that, that's pretty cool. Um, and then of course, one of the big areas of features that go in that go into each new version of LabVIEW and especially LabVIEW 2011 is from the ID Exchange. So if you're not familiar with the ID Exchange, it's basically a public forum that we have at ni.com slash ideas where anybody in the community can go and submit new features 
for LabVIEW or comment on other people's submissions and rank them up and down. And basically, we view the idea exchange as, as, a, as an input to our prioritization process where we feel like we're getting great input on what the user base wants in LabVIEW to help them simplify their development. And LabVIEW 2010, a year ago, was the first version where we had these features. And then there are 13 more features in LabVIEW 2011. And they roll up really into two main areas where one is it just helps make common tasks that a LabVIEW developer does easier, either by making it less clicks, by making it more accessible through high-level menus. So a couple examples of those this year are there's an error cluster constant on the block diagram so that as a LabVIEW developer, you don't have to go to the front panel, drop the error cluster control, and then from the block diagram, change it into a constant to get that as an input to a process. We've separated the connector pane from the icon on the LabVIEW front panel. So in the upper right-hand corner, as a developer, you can see both now. So it simplifies both designing the icon and connecting the connector pane to the front panel controls and indicators. Um, we've done some done some cool things with the with type defs on the block diagram. So you can take any type def constant on the block diagram and with a right click get access to it as a um, type def. So you can create the type def or edit it. Um, so that you know in the past you kind of had to drop the enum on the front panel, edit the items, turn it into a constant. Um, I'm sorry, turn it into a constant on the block diagram, edit the items, change it to a control, right click, make it into a type diff, do all your customization, and then go back to the block diagram and turn it back into a constant. So this gives you both a visual indicator that the constant is linked to a type diff and also makes it easier from the block diagram itself um, to edit that. Right. So two things. One is there's a little symbol next to the constant that indicates that it's a type diff, right? right? Or it's linked to a type diff. And the second is you can actually edit... Oh, sorry, sorry. You can create a type diff right from the constant. Right. Right. And then kind of the second area. So we talked about the first area is just making common tasks easier. The second area is really making the block diagram code just more understandable. So being able to look at code and instantly understand more information about it. So um, one of the one of the highest rated features was the distribute tools that are on the block diagram to be able to take those and align and distribute the wires. So not just the block diagram nodes and VIs, but also distribute and clean up the wires. So it's a real quick way to clean up the diagram and make it more kind of consumable by, you know, the person who's looking at it. And then improvements to creating a sub-VI. So using the edit create sub-VI um, menu process, there was a lot of improvements made to the way the sub-VI looks once it's created. Creating the standard 4224 connector pane on the sub-VI, aligning the controls and indicators on the front panel, cleaning up the code on the block diagram. Just kind of at default with one with one click, turning the sub-VI into what most users want it to look like without them having to go through the manual steps to accomplish that. Right, and that's another feature I'm really excited about because uh, I know Darren Nettinger was working on uh, partially on that right. as well, and he added a feature to um, allow extensibility of this. So users right. can create plugins that, um, after the, the create sub-VI has been executed, the user can execute their own code on the VI to clean it up in any way they want to, actually. Right, with their own settings and customize it, apply templates. There's a lot of cool functionality in that extensions. Yeah, I mean, that, that feature has been needing uh, improvement for a long time. <laughs> um, on the stability side, you know, we talked about stability um, with LiveView 2011, but there's more to that than just, you know, the, the crashing and the hanging. Within RT, there was a lot of work within the real-time module. There was a lot of work putting into um, improving the deployment experience, so um, getting more useful dialogues, um, we're doing some memory caching on the target side. So if you're doing any iterative 
iterative deploys, we can basically cache all the memory on the target. And so when you deploy the second or third time, we can determine what's different and only redeploy that portion of your code. So you're not sitting there waiting for the entire deploy process over and over again. And, and then even on- This is for RT? Yes, this is for Levy Real-Time. Mm -hmm. And then even on the FPGA side, um, there was a lot of really awesome improvements made to doing common tasks in Live FPGA, loading nodes, saving nodes, wiring nodes together um, that really cuts down three to five X on the, the amount of time it takes to write a LabVIEW diagram in FPGA. And then even on the compile side. So any FPGA programmer knows that the compile compilation process for FPGA is really the most lengthy. And we were able to cut five, six, seven um, X of that process off with a lot of the improvements we made in LabVIEW 2011. So we're very excited about that. Um, there, there's all kinds of other features that I could talk about. Um, there's improvements to the way that we integrate with .NET assemblies or M files with the support for structures. Um, one of the features that's near and dear to your heart, I'm assuming you've heard of VI Package Manager. Um, so we had a lot of cool integration with VI Package Manager in Livy 2011. What is that exactly? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, really to simplify finding third-party IP. So as much as we like to think we're the experts in everything here at National Instruments. Um, the truth is that there's this large community of um, partners that are building specialized IP and specialized functionality on top of LabVIEW. And we really want to be able to simplify how a LabVIEW user can access and install and you know be able to use that IP in the product. And we were able to integrate VIPM this year into the getting started window for LabVIEW to find, search, and install this third-party IP without having to leave the environment. Yeah, um, we should definitely mention that VIPM 2011 has also been released this week. The JKI team and I have been uh, hard at work uh, getting the getting this release out as well. Uh, it features a new LabVIEW Tools Network Viewer, which, as Jeff mentioned, um, opens up when you click on the Find Add-ons link on the Getting Started window. So it actually loads up VIPM and displays this new LabVIEW Tools Network Viewer, which is uh, you know a graphical. It has the product icons. Um, you can do a search. Uh, you can actually sort products by ratings now as well. Uh, the LabVIEW Tools Network products have ratings, and you can sort them by that, by downloads, and that type of thing. So a cool new feature in VIPM 2011, which uh, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, Jeff, are what else? What else is there um, with, with this release? Again, I could I could keep going for days. There's improvements to an Epix API to be able to talk with Epix networks, um, cycle accurate simulation within FPJ, and the work that we've done with Xilinx iSim, and improving the work with Mentor Graphics Model Sim. Um, and of course, there's the new hardware that that NI released this year with the multi-core compact real controller and the really small form factor small form factor single board Rio and to the single slot compact DAC chassis, which really completes that family of hardware um, and the opportunities that that opens up for the LabVIEW developer. So there's a lot of cool information. There's a lot of cool functionality built into LabVIEW 2011. And I'm very excited about hearing what the user base is able to do with it. Wow. That's a lot of stuff. Um, this, so this year at an iWeek, uh, is there a special session or something um, that we should be looking forward to if we want to get more information about the new LabVIEW features? So just like every year, we have a, a what's new in LabVIEW session at an iWeek, and we do that multiple times throughout the week. I believe both Tuesday and Wednesday, um, right after the keynote, we're doing it. It's also going to be part of our NITS, our National Instruments Technology Symposium that travels around the United States and Canada um, doing events in a lot of the major cities. Um, and then there's also a webcast that, that we recorded that's available on NI.com. 
So really the best place if you're looking for information on new features is if you go to the website, if you go to ni.com slash labview slash what's new, um, there's an entire list of features. There's um, kind of the highlighted top 10 with additional information. And then if you scroll down that page, there's just this entire list broken down by product, whether it's in LabVIEW or in LabVIEW Real-Time or FPGA, or by development category. So if you're trying to do data analysis, if you're trying to find improvements to the language, to classes, kind of whatever information you're looking for, it's broken down there and it has a list of all the new features. So if you can't find somebody from NI to break it down for you, there's a lot of information available on the website. Yeah. Is there any uh, like other sessions you want to mention or any uh, special you know, keynotes or anything like that, that uh, are going to be happening at an week um, that you want to mention ahead of time? Well, the, I'm actually, all the keynotes this year sound really cool. Um, you know, the, the day one keynote, you know, Dr. T is going to do his thing. And then we're really focusing a lot on graphical system design and rolling out that message and defining kind of what that term means to the industry and how we, you know, with our hardware software approach are trying to really simplify that for customers. I would say probably the day two keynote I'm most excited about. Um, that's going to be kind of uh, the next 25 years for LabVIEW. Dr. T always talks about a programming language has a 50-year life cycle. Um, when you look back at the history of languages like Fortran. And so the this is the 25th anniversary for LabVIEW, but the Wednesday keynote at NI Week really will focus on what the next 25 years has in store and a lot of the cool technologies that we're working on um, over the next five to 10 years. And so I'm really excited to hear what the user base what a lot of the, the lab users at NI Week, um, you know, will think about some of the technologies that we're rolling out. And then day three, we're featuring um, the Storm Chasers guys. So one of our one of our um, hardware guys went went out to the Storm Chasers out in Oklahoma and really worked with them to outfit them with a first class set of hardware and a LabVIEW program to help them acquire data. And we're excited to hear kind of the outcome of their process of chasing tornadoes around, especially with all the the recent problems that you know, the U.S. has gone through with flooding and with tornadoes and with a lot of the devastation that, that we've seen across the country. So trying to be a part of helping, you know, the community of whether people understand and track and predict these storms is, is very exciting stuff. That's great. I'm going to have to track the, that guy down and maybe get an interview with him. No pun intended, huh? <laughs> okay, Jeffrey, I'd, I'd like to thank you for um, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know with the uh, with an iWeek and the lab you release and all that, it's been pretty busy for you. Oh, we've always got time for you, Michael. Thanks. Well, folks, that's it. And uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the VI Shots podcast. Again, I'd like to thank uh, Jeffrey Phillips from National Instruments for showing up. And I'd also uh, encourage everyone to uh, come to the JKI booth and uh, say hello to me. I'll also be at the We Are the Champions session at uh, on Tuesday um, there with my friend Chris Ralph and several other LabVIEW champions. So make sure to come on over and say hi. If you want to leave feedback for the show, you can email us by sending email to feedback at vishots.com or you can uh, leave a comment on the website on the show notes page. Just look, at, just look up uh, uh, visp dash 010 which is our 10th episode thank you everyone and bye for now